everyone. My name is Seth Baum. I'm here with Jacob Hock Maestra, a research scientist from the Blue Marble Space Institute of Science. Jacob is lead author of a paper called The Benefits and Harms of Transmitting into Space that was recently accepted for publication in the journal Space Policy. Jacob, how are you doing? I'm doing good. Thanks for thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. This will be fun. So, so first, when you say transmitting into space, what does that mean? So it means two things because, number one, we have cell phones and television signals and radar for military and for astronomy um, that are being used for all those purposes, but all of those electromagnetic signals, those waves – of, of radiation, light and radio waves and other things, they all leak out into space. And the idea is perhaps some distance away, there's extraterrestrial intelligent beings. And if they build radio telescopes, we know that radio telescopes are a possible technology because we have them. So they could, in principle, observe this radio, we call it leakage, because it's not... Our intention is not to send it into space, but it's sort of the result of using cell phones and using TVs is that some of that radiation leaks out into space. Now, I mentioned extraterrestrial beings because the other half of the transmitting problem is should we or could we or does it make any sense to talk about sending an, inten an intentional message to extraterrestrial beings that may be there? And that gets some people thinking about, you know, possible consequences of contact with extraterrestrials. But on the transmission discussion, there's the leakage and there's intentional messages that we call METI, so messaging to extraterrestrial intelligence. Okay, so we have the, the unintentional messages, the leakage, and then the, the intentional ones, the, the METI. Now, how do you go about figuring out whether or not these could uh, reach extraterrestrials? I mean, first, we don't even know if there there are any extraterrestrials out there. Maybe there are, maybe there aren't. I, I see the paper uses the, the Drake equation. Can you tell us what that is and, and how you use it in the paper? Sure, because, of course, as you say, we have not observed any extraterrestrial beings yet of any kind. So we really don't know. Maybe there's a lot of radiation that we're emitting into space and it doesn't matter. But it's also possible that the universe is teeming with life and even that our galaxy is teeming with uh, intelligent life because we haven't explored well enough to be able to have detected that. And so the Drake equation, as you mentioned, it's a, it's a probabilistic expression. It's written like an equation, but it's kind of a way of expressing a, a sort of thought experiment or, or a philosophy even. And it expresses the number of civilizations that are currently present in our own galaxy uh, in terms of a number of factors. And some of these are observable and, and can be constrained with astronomy, and some of them are a little more tricky. But so the number of civilizations is related to the rate of star formation in the galaxy times the fraction of stars that have planets times the number of potentially habitable planets per star system. Now, those three can be constrained by astronomy, but the rest of them uh, are a little trickier. You have the fraction of planets that develop life, the fraction of planets that develop intelligence, and the fraction that develop communication. All of that times the lifetime of a technological civilization. So, you know, that's kind of a mouthful, but we don't really know how common life is. We certainly don't know how long technological civilizations are. 
But the point is that we can at least use these factors to express an unknown quantity, the number of civilizations, and at least we're thinking about what factors might be involved in that. Okay, so it sounds like you're using the Drake equation then to come up with maybe your best estimate for uh, how many civilizations are out there in our galaxy. Yeah, that's right, and we don't even try to say we're going to predict how many there are, but we even present three possible estimates to the Drake equation. Uh, one of them, the original estimate by the uh, Frank Drake, Carl Sagan, and colleagues in 1961. We have one maybe reminiscent of Warden Brownlee's book, Rare Earth, where they postulate that maybe Earth is the only intelligent site in the uh, galaxy. And then we have like another one, if you ask Frank Drake now, he has a little bit more of an optimistic estimate. Um, and so those span the range of uh, anywhere from one, the Rare Earth solution is one. Um, the one in 1961 was on the order of 10, maybe a little more. There were some optimists and some pessimists in the room, but roughly they said maybe there's like 10 or maybe 100 intelligent civilizations in the galaxy. Uh, but if you ask Drake now, he'll say, you know, there's probably 10,000 civilizations in the galaxy, which is a little better. They might be somewhere like two to 3,000 light years away from us. So we use the Drake equation more to show that there's a range of possibilities, just because then we can express this uncertainty using some known terms and some unknown terms, and then we can present a range that, look, they could be really close, they could be really far. Um, so that's sort of how we use it. So then how do you calculate whether or not our uh, signals that we're transmitting from here on Earth, how do you calculate whether or not they would reach these civilizations that might be out there? So that depends on two things. One is what we're doing, our transmitting, and the other is the receiving, which is what they're doing, which we don't know. So I'll start with what we don't know, which is we don't know how big of a telescope the aliens might choose to build. Uh, the assumption here is just that because we know telescopes are, are, a are an existing technology, they're possible. You know, we don't know if faster than light speed is possible. We don't know if transporter technology or interdimensional travel is possible. You know, maybe they are, but we haven't been able to do it yet. And because we can construct radio telescopes out of materials in our environment, it's at least plausible that in other intelligent beings could at least have the means to do the same thing. So with that in mind, if aliens are more advanced than us, they could probably build a telescope even bigger than we have. And the bigger your telescope, the fainter the signal you can detect. And so it's sort of, if the aliens were really into this and that they had a high investment in detecting signals, you know, they could build a, a thousand square kilometer radio telescope array and detect very, very faint signals. So that is what we don't know. Um, what we do know is that here on Earth, we're starting to plan a one square kilometer array. So we, we just sort of assume if the aliens had a one kilometer square array, because we know that's possible, then we can calculate some distances for radar signals, for television, for cell phones, and, and for um, other dishes of interest to MEDI or to leakage. And so the, the functions of our transmitters that are important are it's how much of the sky are you transmitting to, What's the power of your, your transmission? How periodic, like are you repeating the signal? Is it, is it a one pulse in time or is it, 
is there a repeatability to it or is it constant? Like cell phones are basically a constant signal. Bandwidth is one consideration, how much information is transmitted in a given amount of the, the signal, uh, what frequency is being used, and then we, we take all that into account and that gives us a detectable volume. So for, each, for cell phones or for television or for a radar signal, just sort of what's the relative detectable volume of that signal compared to each other. And so the numbers that we get out of that, I can tell you, so television carrier wave signals are detectable out to about 50 light years. And that's if the aliens had a one kilometer, a one square kilometer array radio telescope. Uh, the Arecibo radar is actually could be detectable up to 200,000 light years out. And some of the uh, U.S. Air Force military radars are 50, 60 to 90,000 uh, light years out. Cell phones are actually, you know, much less than even a light year, so that's a fairly local signal. But, uh, so it just sort of gives us a scale of what is detectable, and the real punchline from this is, although yes, TV signals are detectable, and even cell phones could be if they chose to build a big enough array, the real big signals coming from Earth are not even intentional many signals they're unintended leakage from military radar and astronomy radar and these are you know good things to have like the astronomers are um, reducing risk from asteroid collision because they're using Arecibo to map uh, the trajectory of incoming asteroids and um, obviously military radar has a lot of uses for national international defense so if you're really concerned about aliens noticing us, it's these radar signals that are going to be the most noticeable. Okay. Are there any uh, maybe core uh, take-home messages you think that our listeners should have from this study? Yeah, and what we do with these numbers is we frame it in terms of three kind of fundamental discussion questions, because there's been some discussion over, you know, many years since the SETI and METI discussions began. Uh, people have wondered, should we do this? Is this a good idea to be transmitting into space? Do we want to get attention from extraterrestrials? Maybe they'll come and kill us or eat us or solve all our problems. We don't know. And that's one of the big points is we don't know. And, and we should keep searching to find out. But we don't know what contact with extraterrestrials would be like. It might do nothing for us. It might be really good. It might be really bad. So the first question is, should we cease radio communication on Earth in order to reduce the probability of contact. Now, we phrased it that way because you can't just stop doing METI. You can't just stop doing the intentional transmissions to get aliens' attention. Because as we just talked about, the radar signals for astronomy and military are the strongest signals. Those serve good purposes on Earth, but if you're really concerned about aliens noticing signals coming from our planet then we have to stop all radio communication in order to reduce that probability. But because we don't know about the consequences of contact with aliens, I can't say the answer is no to that. Maybe the fact that we're doing radar communication now means the aliens are going to come kill us you know, in 10 years from now. I don't think that's likely, but I can't rule it out because we don't know anything about what extraterrestrial life is like. So 
we just sort of assume a working hypothesis. Radio is really good for us on Earth. If we were to stop, it would be it would cause so many harms and, and so many costs that it does, it's not worth abandoning just because of the potential consequences of contact with extraterrestrials. So we, we leave it at that. But the next question then is, should we transmit signals into space in an attempt to initiate contact? This is, should we do METI and make the loudest signal coming from Earth an intentional hailing message to get attention from aliens? And that, you know, we don't know. Again, we don't know what the consequences of contact would be. It would be very expensive to do this as well. So it would be a costly and also long-term intergenerational effort. I'm not sure that we're quite ready for that yet, but we could start laying some of the groundwork. And um, I'm not going to answer whether or not we should do that, but there are some you know, tangential benefits that we would get, even if we never made contact with aliens. Uh, there's a lot of education that comes out of that, and a lot of, uh, I believe it would help us think about the long-term future of humanity. And, and then the last one is related. It's should we transmit signals, but not necessarily to contact aliens directly now, but because it will be sort of like a time capsule. And if we transmit some of our knowledge into space, it'll be preserved. If we go extinct, there will be this you know, radiation carrying human knowledge. And maybe someday long after we're gone, it'll be observed by other intelligent beings, and then some value of human civilization will then be carried on. You know, that's pretty out there, but it, it was at least part of the discussion, and it certainly enters into um, the equations of, of how you think about this problem. So, yeah, the take-home message is we don't know what contact with aliens would be like. Uh, we think we probably should continue normal radio communication on Earth, because that's pretty valuable. Um, and then we should really give some thought as to this question of METI. You know, should we be transmitting to get attention from aliens? Not to invest heavily in it now, but to really think about how we should do that, because um, perhaps someday in the future, uh, that might be something we want to do. Okay, sounds great. Sounds great. Is there anything else uh, you'd like to say about the paper? No, I think that's about it. I guess I will say that uh, Lone Signal was gracious to provide uh, funding for this research, and they're a private company that will be embarking on a METI project um, pretty soon, so stay tuned for that. Thanks a lot for being on the show. Thanks, Seth.